Welcome. We are, again, glad you are here, whether in person or online tonight. As Tanya mentioned, we are in our final week of a long study through Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. It's first of Paul's letters that is believed to be written, at least that we have recorded, written in 50 AD. And I hope as we've gone through this, you've seen just how incredibly relevant this letter is and incredibly how relevant the Bible is to those of us living here now in 2020. Our theme verse this entire time has been uh, chapter 5, verse 6, which simply reads, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. As we've said all along, we, we have this tendency as human beings to go through life and we're just, we're just going through the motions. Our, our eyes are open, but we're, we're not fully awake. We just kind of let life pass us by. We're not grateful for what we have. We're not mindful of all the divine moments that God is placing before us every single day. And as that happens, time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. And so I hope as we've gone through this series that maybe your eyes have been open a little bit, that you've maybe sobered up to the reality that you're letting time get away from you and you're not awake to your current circumstances. And even if you've, you've had just a little incremental change, that's a little incremental change, and that's a good thing, and that's a move towards holiness. Paul has been writing this letter to a group of new believers, those who have recently been woken up, and they've been woken up by the gospel. They've woken up to see their sin. They've woken up to the wage of sin, which is death, and they've woken up to find a Savior who provides them that hope for that next to come. And so waking up after years, as we said, living in a, a matrix, a fake reality, waking up, well, that can be sometimes a bit harsh. Seeing the reality of our sin and seeing the reality of just how broken humanity is, that can be a difficult thing to take in. And then once we learn to live within that reality, you know, after we know Jesus and we're in the new reality and we're awake, it's not all rainbows and butterflies and sunshine all day. There's still suffering, though there's hope in the suffering, and there's, there's still um, suffering going on because we're living in the world's night, and there's this constant struggle then because we're in the night to stay awake. This week started, um, I believe on Sunday, the first day of Advent. How many of you grew up in kind of a more formal church where Advent was a thing? Just kind of curious. Some of you here think that, I don't know if that's a high church thing, or at least if you get to Methodist, maybe that starts. But, but Advent is a, is a big thing in the church. Truth be told, because I didn't grow up in the church, and I'm a relatively 15-year or so Christian now, but still relatively new Christian, I wasn't all that familiar with the liturgical church calendar. All I knew about Advent is each year my... Um, wife's sister, she gives our kids these calendars, and they got, I think, like 25 days, or I don't have very many days on it, you open a piece of the calendar every day, and there's a piece of what appears to be chocolate inside there that tastes like the communion wafers we've been using here lately, <laughs> and the kids eat one of those, and there's a different little symbol every day. And so for me, basically, I always thought Advent was like the 12 days of Christmas. It's just <laughs> a countdown to Christmas type thing. But what Advent is, if you're not familiar, the word Advent actually means the coming. It's a time, the, the definition is a time of expectant waiting and preparation. So Advent, I did a little study on it this week. It started actually as a season of preparation for baptism. It wasn't really connected to Christmas and the season that we connected with now. If somebody was going to be baptized, they would uh, go through this season of Advent, and there would be 40 days of penance, and there would be prayer, and they would be fasting, and that would be a season of Advent. 
But over the years, it's evolved, and today we celebrate Advent as the coming of the Christ child, what God has already done. We celebrate it as we look forward with expectation to when Jesus returns and God's full reign comes to earth. And so we've got the Advent calendars. We've got lighting of an Advent wreath. A Lutheran church used to meet in here on Sundays. We would lease out the space to them, and they had their wreath always in the back, and they had the candles that they would light. I think even these, uh, like, joy, love, hope, those are all, like, parts of each week of Advent. And so you do, like, four weeks of Advent or five weeks of Advent, depending on what denomination you're a part of. That's Advent today, and it's kind of grown, and you've got these liturgical church services. But Advent, just for us, it's a time... Of waiting. That's what we're going to look at Advent as, a time of waiting. But it's not passive waiting, it's active waiting. You know, if you're expecting a parent, Justine and Jason, they got a baby coming like within a week, right? They hope. <laughs> and they're waiting, and they've been waiting for nine months or thereabouts, and it's, it's waiting, but it's active waiting. They've been preparing for this baby to come, and so um, she's probably been eating a little bit differently, getting ready for the baby, and exercising, and getting different nutrition, and hopefully you both have been praying in your family, and we've all been praying with you as we are expectant of this baby to come, and we're just getting the necessary tools, the car seats, and the strollers, and all that stuff together so that when the baby comes, and we're expectant, the baby comes, mom and dad will be hopefully prepared and ready for that baby to come, although we know we're never fully prepared for a baby to come. Shane Claiborne, one of my favorite modern writers, he uh, uh, had a blog this week, and he said this. He said, we are in a world pregnant with hope, and we live in the expectation of the coming of God's kingdom on earth. So as we wait, we also work, and we cry, and we pray, and we ache. We are the midwives of another world. Paul is writing to this group of new believers there in Thessalonica. And these believers, they think Jesus is returning tomorrow. And so as they wait expectantly, it's truly expectant because they think it's happening tomorrow. And the reality is that's how we all should live, expectantly that Jesus will return tomorrow. But it's understandable that after 2,000 years of history, we've got a case of second coming fatigue. We're not all that different than the people of the Old Testament. If you read it, one of the most common phrases you'll see, especially in the poetry writings of the Old Testament, is the phrase, how long? How long, O oh God, must we wait? How long, O oh God, will you forget me? Everything in Scripture pointed to a future time when God would come. Emmanuel, God with us. All the prophets would point to that time when God would come, but generation after generation passed, and no Messiah. And then all of a sudden, boom, we get Christmas. We get Jesus. He's born of a virgin. He's crucified. He's died. He's buried. He rose again. He defeated death. But then he left. And here we are. Of course, the fact that he left, theologically, that's not a true statement. Christ is with us. The church is his body. His spirit dwells within us. I think most of us right now, if we're honest, COVID fatigue has set in, right? I mean, we're, we're just over it. We've been over it for, since it pretty much it started, but we're really over it right now. And, you know, it's like we say we're going to wear masks, and we try to wear masks, but we don't wear masks. And there's probably a few independently wealthy introverts out there that aren't over it and are loving this time and still enjoying it. But the rest of it, we're over it. We're tired of the loss of life. We're tired of the interruption of life. We're tired of being in limbo. We're tired of all the confusion and misinformation. But then you hear about a vaccine that's coming, and that's been all in the news the last couple of weeks, and I'm not going to get into vaccines and what I think about vaccines or not. Most people, though, you hear about a vaccine, 
You know, like there's hope. There's some light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to get back to some normalcy finally soon. And we need that hope. And when you get that hope, it allows you to persevere. It makes wearing a mask maybe a little bit easier. So likewise, those of us who are suffering from second coming fatigue, we need to be reminded that there is a vaccine coming. There is hope that is to come, that there is light coming at the end of a tunnel. And so that's what Advent is. It's just a time to pause, a time to remember that it won't be long and hope will come. And that hope came on Christmas Day. It's a reminder to remember to persevere and to prepare for tomorrow. And it's a time for all of us to be free and to cry out, how long, O oh God? How long do we have to deal with COVID? How long do we have to continue to fight temptation? How long do we have to struggle with pain? How long do we have to lose people we love? How long? And to be reminded that God hears that question and he responds back to us until my will is done. And so welcome into the season of Advent in the season of Christmas. And I do want to give the ladies a round of applause, and guys, if they did it too, for the stage and how beautiful it looks. And I came in tonight, and it was all pushed forward to the front of the stage, and you couldn't see the band, and I had to move some stuff around. I felt like the worst person in the world because I hate changing something awesome that people do. And, and we just moved it back a little bit, but it looks fantastic and awesome, and just want to thank them for doing that. In your families, whether when you grew up or maybe now, anybody have a tradition of opening a few Christmas presents early? I mean, you just you can't wait for the big day. And so you let your kids maybe open a present or two early, or maybe when you were growing up, your mom and dad let you open a present or two early. My family, uh, growing up, they would let us do that from time to time. Usually it was when the first snow came and there would be gloves you know, snow gloves under the Christmas tree, and so they'd let us open the gloves. Or it was when we had a Christmas uh, pageant or whatever, and we needed socks for the concert, and they would give us the socks. Or for some reason, there was always underwear under our Christmas tree. There were three of us boys, apparently, we needed underwear. And we, that's not even a gift, that's supplies. But that would be what they would give us early for Christmas. Those early Christmas presents, they were never the good stuff. You know, the, the stuff that, that we really wanted, the stuff that we had to wait on that good stuff until Christmas morning. As believers, we are expectantly waiting for the good stuff. It's what Advent is. We are expectantly waiting for the morning when we get to unwrap the best gift ever that's living within the presence of God. But while we wait for that great morning to come and we're excited to open that gift, God does give us some early gifts that we get to open. And thankfully, those gifts are more than socks and underwear, though those are probably thrown in as well because we need them. But they're gifts that help us stay awake. They're gifts that help bring joy into our lives. They're gifts that help make us the most of our present reality as we do wait for that big day. Paul started this letter to the Thessalonians. And for the first three chapters, it was all encouragement. Like, you guys are doing great. You guys are awesome. Keep it up. Way to go. That's three chapters of just pouring on the praise. And then chapter 4 and 5, he turns the corner again. And what I'm going to say is when he turns the corner in chapter 4, he begins handing out early Christmas presents. But maybe when you read it, if you did read through with it, maybe it didn't sound so much like a gift that Paul was handing out. Midway through this series, uh, one of our members here who I admire and respect and love having deep Bible discussions with, um, they were reading along, as, as I encourage you to do, and, and they reached out to me and they said, you know, I'm struggling a lot with Paul and this text. Because she says, she says, all these directives on living holy 
do this, don't do that. What happened to the Paul of grace? It says, Paul imposing some of the legalism of his past on the church. Did he just turn Pharisee for Jesus, taking good works to prove you are worthy of salvation and slapping plus Jesus on it? And those are valid questions. If, if you're reading the text, those are questions that are come up. It's like, Paul, all of a sudden it's praise, pray, praise, and then it's do, do, do. And, you know, how does that line up with everything else that Paul has said? And I love those kind of questions because we, we profess to be a thinking church that, that wants to think things through more deeply, and that's part of thinking. And as a thinking church, then what we do is we take the entirety of Scripture not just little bits and pieces of Scripture, but we take the entirety of Scripture and we view it as one big story, as it was intended to be. And so within that greater story, we have to remember that the same Paul that's saying, you know, do this and don't do that and do this is the same Paul who said in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved. It's not by anything that you've done. It's a free gift from God, not a result of works. It's the same Paul. Or Romans 10.9, he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you'll be saved. Not about your works, not about what you do. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ten commandments in the Old Testament, it's Old Testament law. And yeah, they were there to show the Israelites God's way and God's wisdom and how to live within the new freedom since they've been rescued. But it served also to show the Israelites and to show us today just how incredibly sinful human beings are. That humanity is so messed up that we can't even keep the most basic commands of God. Love your neighbor, love your parents, don't kill each other. <laughs> and so when Paul gives instruction, he gives direction about how to live in holiness. He's not giving you more rules. He's not giving you another Christian checklist or another to-do list. He's not passing out condemnation and guilt. He's not giving you another even longer ladder that you got to climb to get up to God. He's handing out early presents. He's handing out these gifts that make life better. Gifts that help us persevere while we wait. Gifts that we can unwrap and enjoy right now. And so he starts going through those gifts. He says, don't misuse sex. Use it how it was intended to be used, and you will have the most beautiful, intimate marriage you can imagine. He says, live the quiet life. That's a gift, because when you live a quiet life, you see the meekness of Christ, and you develop his character. Paul says, mind your own business. Work hard. Those are all gifts that he's given us that, that makes life better. He says, don't take your blessings and people and God for granted. He says, live in the now. Paul isn't a legalist that's trying just to impose a checklist on these believers about being a good Christian. Karen and I were talking at lunch today. Much more than a legalist, Paul is acting a lot more like a therapist. Therapists don't pass judgment. It's not a therapist's job. And if you go to a therapist that's passing judgment on you, find a new therapist. Therapists don't add guilt, and they don't just remind you over and over about your shortcomings. A good therapist will never make you feel condemned. What a therapist does is they hand out gifts that if you unwrap them and open them, your mental health and thus your life can improve. They help you gain insight to your struggles. They help you find wisdom so that you don't repeat past behaviors that hurt yourself and hurt others. They give you tools that can immediately enhance your life. And so while living in a time of Advent, as we wait for Christ's return and we wait for everything to be restored, while we still live in this dark world, Paul knows the truth. And so he hands out gifts that we can open early that make the battle of life a little easier and can bring a little bit of heaven to earth right now.
And so tonight we're going to unwrap the last remaining of those gifts that he's handing out. We're going to begin in chapter 5, verse 12, and we're going to complete the entire letter. Verse 12 says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Now, I like that gift a lot. <laughs> honor your church leaders. And it's hard to be a church leader, and I'm not looking for sympathy or applause, but 2020 has been a bit of a rough year. And those of you in the small groups that put together the little pastor appreciation plaque, I haven't had a chance to say thank you, but thank you. It's been a tough year, whether at Refuge or whatever church somebody's at to be a pastor. There, there are a lot of no-win situations we had to make this year where we did situation A, people left. We did B, people left. It didn't matter. People were just going to be upset by the decisions we had to make of when we gathered and when we didn't gather and whatever. This week I had a dream. I've shared a few of dreams since we're talking about being awake in this series that uh, I had forgotten my iPad here last Saturday night and I came back on Sunday to get it and that was my dream and I'm coming in here to, to get my iPad that I forgot on the stand. All the people who had left refuge this year were sitting here having an alternative church service. So that was a little hard. <laughs> but I have dreams about you guys all the time. I have this one recurring dream. I'm loading the dishwasher at my house and just random church members show up. You guys show up to my house, and you tell me all the ways I'm putting the dishes in the dishwasher wrong and how the plates and bowls should be put in differently than how I'm loading. I, I think Freud could probably tell me uh, a bit more of what that dream is about. In James chapter 3, uh, he says, Not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. And I'm aware of that verse, and so when I became a pastor and a teacher... I took this gig pretty seriously because of that verse. And so, yes, uh, I do get burned out. And yes, I do get frustrated doing this sometimes because I'm a human being. And so I can tell you then from experience that leaders in the church or wherever, we do a much better job when we feel encouraged. We lead better. Mike McGovern, he comes here every Saturday and arranges the chairs. He's been working on getting our air-conditioned issues fixed, and that's all great stuff that he does for the church. But one of the greatest things he does is almost after every single sermon, either Saturday or Sunday, he sends me an encouraging text message. And it just it lifts my spirits. Our relationship then is a bi-directional relationship. I teach, he encourages Neither of us are above the other. We're just two people going through the battle of life trying to share the bread that we have with one another. That's how the church was designed to operate. I've said it before, I believe that everyone has a calling to lead within the church. It just might look different in how you lead or who you lead within the church. And so when Paul talks about leaders here, you know, he doesn't say pastors. He doesn't use any title. He just says leaders. He doesn't say give honor to the paid staff of the church. He says give honor to those who are leaders. Give honor to anyone who helps you grow within your maturity of spirituality. And that can be anyone. Now, this church in Thessalonica, it's a young church. Young both by the pretty new believers and young also, it, it appears, by age. And so the gap between a leader in this church and a newbie in the church, it's a relatively small gap. I happen to know a church like that. We're a young church in both ways, new believers and a lot of young people. And I'm the pastor who thought Advent was the same as the 12 days of Christmas. So the gap between leader and member is, is pretty small. And so the gift that Paul is asking us to open up and unwrap early is simply one of being gracious to those who serve you, regardless of who that is. And so he continues in verse 13. He says, show them 
Show the leaders and those who are helping you to grow mature spiritually. He says, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And then he adds this line, and live peacefully with each other. Jesus Christ himself handed out that very first present. After uh, he came and, and came back with the disciples, he hands out the present. It's not socks, it's not underwear, it's not a Christmas dress. The present is a big one. It's the church. It's the first present he gives us to unwrap as believers in Advent waiting for his return. But at times, that gift that he gave us, we want to send it back. It can seem defective. It can seem pretty poorly conceived. It can seem poorly designed. And the instruction manual that we're given to try to figure this church thing out, well, it's pretty vague and confusing. And so we get instructions to be a church that says, live peacefully with each other. Sure. Easy peasy, because church people are easy to get along with. I can't even live peacefully with my wife, and I got to pick her. I didn't get to pick any of you, and I got to live peacefully with you. Church is an odd institution. I mean, it really is. You got rich people, you got poor people, you got educated people, you got the uneducated, you got Republicans and Democrats and introverts and extroverts and peacemakers and challengers, and we just toss it all together. And part of the design then, is that we not only tolerate each other within this weird, funky design, but we actually lead each other based on our individual spiritual gifts and maturity. That's why the church, done right, it breaks down all the social barriers and hierarchies that can lead to some really odd situations, though. So we hear of, like, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company who's, you know, successful in that world, but in the church, he's a brand-new believer, and he could be led then in spiritual maturity by a college dropout. Or within the church, imagine this right now, Biden supporters leading Trump supporters, or Trump supporters leading Biden supporters. That's the church. Or the most socially awkward person out there in the world within the church could be the most spiritually mature person that we need to seek counsel and advice from. That's the odd makeup of the church. And, of course, this gets messy. In our flesh, we don't like that. We, we like to size each other up, to know where I rank in relation to you. And so every time you talk to someone, maybe your mind plays that little game. Like, what's my advantage in this situation? Where, where can I one-up that person? Where is the hole that can make me feel above that person? And we'll use income, or we'll use intelligence, or we'll use, well, I love Jesus more, I serve Jesus more, I work harder, I've never been a drunk, or I don't cuss, or I'm more open-minded, or I'm whatever. And we try to find that hole that can elevate us just a little bit above that other person. It's human nature. And it's incredibly destructive within the confines of the church, or really everywhere for that matter. And so the present that Paul is handing out, and he wants us to unwrap, and he wants us to enjoy, is that of simply being peacemakers. It's that little piece of a toy. If you've ever, moms or dad, you're putting together the toy the night before Christmas and it's like 9.30 and you want to go to bed or have a glass of wine or whatever and the kids are finally asleep and you're putting together this toy from Ikea that's got 5,000 pieces to it and you're trying to build it and then there's that one piece. The thing just does not work with that and the piece cannot be found. The toy would be awesome with that piece but without that peace, it does not function at all. How do we have a peacemaking church? We need to find that's the piece of the toy that makes the church function. 
With that peace, the church functions healthy. It functions beautifully. Without it, it doesn't function at all. And so how do we become that peacemaking church? Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Christ Jesus our Lord has done for us. Within a Christian community, we really don't have to one-up each other. We don't have to constantly try to size one another up to see where we rank because we're already accepted and treasured by the only one's opinion who matters, our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. And so armed with this knowledge that we have absolutely nothing to prove, doesn't that feel good to say we have absolutely nothing to prove, it should make it a whole lot easier to be peacemakers with each other. I mean, Jesus is the model peacemaker. And he was higher than everyone, right? He was smarter, he was wiser, he was stronger, whatever adjective add an ER to it, he was that. I got a new app on my phone. We were out having a campfire night the other night, and there's an app that like shows you the stars, and you hold it up to the sky, and it shows you the constellations and stuff. You can click on a star, and it'll tell you like its distance. You, know, you can click on Neptune, and it'll tell you how far that planet is. You click on a star, it'll tell you the distance to the Earth. And dude, some of these stars are 600, light million, 600 million light years away. 600 million light years away. I mean, you can't even wrap your head around what 600 million is, let alone 600 million light years away. It's amazing. And, and that God that created stars that are 600 million light years away in the vastness of the universe, that God stepped down from his throne of endless glory that we sang earlier to a cradle of dirt. His family was political refugees. God came and had to work a job. He had to be a carpenter. God had a job. He took insults. He had meals with prostitutes and tax collectors. He washed the feet of friends that he knew was going to betray him. He suffered and he died alone. And so when we think of that, it should be a lot harder for us not to be able to keep peace with a brother or sister who is annoying us or who hurt our feelings or who I'm convinced is somehow beneath me. And when we bring that kind of peace into the church, the church is healthy. It functions properly. And when a church functions properly, what an amazing early Christmas gift that can be. He continues, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid. So Paul's like, be a peacemaker. Also, Paul, tell people to stop being lazy. That's, that doesn't really jive up. That's dangerous terrain. If, if we speak saying, don't be lazy, that's usually not going to bring a lot of peace to the situation. That's why the next words that he speaks is so important. He says, take tender care of those who are weak. And he says, be patient with everyone. And so here's the model within the church. Those who are being led are to honor those above you. And those who are leading others are to be tender with those who below you, and then we wrap it all up and put a big bow on top called patience. The word patience is, is actually literally translated as long-suffering. Patience within a church is long-suffering. And so as much as we all want and desire it, there is no shortcut to community within a church. As COVID started, I saw all these articles going around on social media, and, and they were by church leaders, you know, the big church leaders, and, and they basically were, were hoping, I think, and praying and predicting that maybe this pandemic, that COVID, would kill 
consumer Christianity because in the beginning it kind of felt that way. I mean, things got raw and real really quick. You saw these people posting that church has left the building and it was just so simplistic and all the excesses were being removed and all that really remained at that point in time, you remember in March when we were gathering, all that remained was God's word, Jesus, some community and prayer. Everything else had been stripped away. Duke Kwan, he said on Twitter back then, he says, what if God in his strange providence is downshifting the American church into a maid of simplicity, stripped of non-essentials, renewed in its fundamental identity as the people of God? And I remember back then, I too was hopeful that we would just blow up this notion of, of Sunday morning church, that that would be done and the church would be all the time and we would change our giving mindset, that we didn't just give to a church to get something back that we gave so the church could do beautiful things in our community or that as a church we would go deeper with one another and, and certainly I was hoping it was the end of the big show. But what I've seen in recent months, instead of the pandemic killing consumer Christianity, the church seems to be now moving further and further into the entertainment venue. I don't know, I'm more involved in that kind of stuff, but there is now an arms race in the church to produce the highest quality online experience. And there is big money being spent to have just the most awesome online experience out there. And so now what's happening, and I see this with past members here and see this with friends and family, instead of being a consumer Christian jumping from church to church and seeking of that better show and the better performance and the more gifted speaker, now we've got channel surfing Christians that sit on Sunday morning and flip the channels through church services until they find one that might hit their hotspot for that day. That is not community. Not even close. And I'm not bashing streaming because, you know, having this streaming ability right now is important for, for those who can't be here because they have health concerns and they're dealing with cancer or like Scott and Jordan who are lifting thousands of pounds today and at a me, they, they can watch this later. Or Chip, you guys know Chip who's been helping lead worship and he's been doing an amazing job, calls me like two weeks and goes like, yeah, I'm moving to Tennessee. So, so, you know, he's out now traveling to look at houses up in Tennessee, but he can catch our online service and is watching it right now. Or, or the two small groups that are out having camp outs tonight and you know wherever they're at in Caloosahatchee Preserve or whatever they're able to stream the service and still be a part of what we're doing here and so so the streaming stuff I'm, I'm not bashing but we put in work to produce something of high enough quality that that you can get the teaching you can participate in the worship and you can still feel like you're a part of your church community and there's a little added benefit to our stream. People that maybe aren't comfortable coming to church will check it out and that'll be their first step before they come visit a church in person. But today, December 2020, and maybe this will change, there's an entire segment of Christians, again, sitting at home on Sunday morning. They're sitting there alone, and they're scrolling through Facebook, looking for that most engaging show with no connection to the people of that actual church. That's not the gift of community that Jesus gave us. We need the gift of having to put up with each other. We need the gift of being annoyed every once in a while. We need the gift of having to suffer along someone else who is going through some challenges. We need to challenge each other when we get lazy in our faith. We need to learn tenderness for those in difficult circumstances. And none of that can be done channel surfing church. It's a gift when you have to deal with someone who isn't wired like you are because you grow in patience. It's a gift when you come to terms that people are having to deal with you to growing in grace. 
Learning to be a peacemaker, I want you to see, is a gift because it draws us closer to that ultimate peacemaker. And the more we're drawn to him, the more mature our faith, and the more mature our faith, the better prepared we are to stay awake and get through this battle called life. Right now, people all around us are experiencing trials, they're experiencing troubles because of this outbreak. They're longing for a light to come at the end of the tunnel, and they need hope. And I just don't think a well-produced show is going to give them hope, not any kind of lasting hope. I think that hope is found when you live within a community of other human beings who are expectantly longing for that same hope. And so Paul continues, verse 15, he says, See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus, and you get a car, and you get a car, and everybody gets a car. Paul is excited about these gifts. Be joyful. That's a gift. Pray whenever, wherever. That's a gift. Find good in every circumstance. See what that does for your life. Open these gifts. Start using them, not because you have to, but because they're awesome. He says, verse 19, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said and hold on to what is good. Church Paul is writing to, they don't have Bibles. There's no New Testament yet. There's no Bible app with a thousand translations in it. There's just stories. And there's letters from apostles, and there's things people think they heard from somebody. And so in this time, they needed prophecy to help guide the church, to help fellow believers. But they also needed to not be, Paul says, simpletons and just believe everything they heard because somebody said it was a prophecy, and so that they needed to allow the Spirit to guide them. Verse 22, he says, stay away from every kind of evil. It's a pretty broad statement. It's like a catch-all. It's like when your kids or driving, or going somewhere, and you're like, uh, da, 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 and be safe. It's like, uh, tell you said that, Dad, I wasn't going to be safe, but since you said be safe, I'll be safe. Paul is like a parent to these people in Thessalonica. He thinks of them like his children, and so he's essentially saying, hey guys, man, just stay away from evil. Be safe. And then we turn to the final little section here. It's the closing prayer from Paul. Verse 23 says, now may the God of peace Make you holy in every way and make your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Holiness is like the jelly of the month club. It's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. That's terrible. That's from Christmas Vacation. We watched it this week, and I thought I could slide a reference in there. <laughs> Christmas is not my holiday. I'm, I'm trying hard, guys. I'm trying with the Christmas. Here's what he says, though. He says in verse 23, he says, you know, may the Spirit of God, peace, holy in every way, keep you blameless. Being blameless is pretty dang difficult, right? And so here's the good news in verse 24. He says, God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. Who will make this happen? Is it you that's going to make it happen? Is it your willpower that's going to make it happen? Let me be, let me say it for the very first time. I know it's early. Merry Christmas. God will make it happen. He will give you the support that you need. He will give you the gifts that you need when you need them, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and kindness. We need to know that. 
We need to know that we can depend upon him in confidence when we're in this season of Advent. The gift of knowing that God won't stop bringing me joy. The gift of knowing that God won't stop answering our prayers. The gift of knowing that God won't stop giving me a reason to give thanks. Verse 25 then, Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. To ask for prayer, that's to admit weakness. I don't know if you realize that or not. When you ask for prayer, you're saying, I can't do this. I need you to pray for me. I have stuff I struggle with too. I need prayer. Paul is a veteran apostle. He is spiritually mature but he's asking those he serves to pray for him. Pure humility. Verse 26, he says, uh, greet all brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. Right now, turn to the person to your left and please give them a holy kiss. Okay, don't do that, please. <laughs> we always, we've made jokes with a lot of people about that over the years because it's, it's in Scripture a few times. Give somebody a holy kiss, ha, ha, ha. But I'll tell you, man, put that verse in your back pocket because you can whip it out on anyone, anytime, that wants to take every verse of the Bible and make it prescriptive. And they'll say, uh, you know, you need to do this in your church. What do you mean you guys don't do this in your church? And you say, oh, great, do you guys greet each other with a holy kiss? Oh, no, okay, we're going to keep doing this over here. There you go. It's your present for tonight from Pastor Brian. All Paul's really saying is greet each other. <laughs> you know, just, just whatever culturally acceptable method that there is, greet each other in a kind way. And so it's like me saying, hey, before you leave tonight, hug a friend after COVID. Elbow bump them right now. Verse 27, he says, I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. This is the only command that Paul gives through this entire letter. Everything else, he's been handing out gifts after gift, but here he gives a direct command, not from himself, he gives a command from Jesus that this divinely inspired letter should be opened and read. And then we get to the final verse of this book. Verse 28, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's a nice little ending. As a pastor, I've never been quite sure how to end a service because I'm kind of new at this. And you guys know over the years we've tried lots of different things like preach a message and, you know, give some announcements. And then I'm like, peace out or deuces or uh, remember misfits go change the world. <laughs> that was so awkward. <clears throat> Today I just say, God bless, love y'all, see you next week. And maybe I say that, and you're like, oh, it's just some words he uses because he don't know what else to say. But I did give it some thought. I mean, there's three things I just said. God bless. It's the world's shortest prayer, but it is a prayer that God go out and bless you this week when you leave this place. Love y'all. I got the mic. I should say it occasionally, and I do truly love y'all. See you next week. Well, I do hope you come back, and we get to do this again week after week after week. And so I've given thought every week to the final words that I'd say as, as a send-off here. Paul, I'm sure and this is his first letter, I'm sure he gave that same sort of thought to, how do I end this thing? I mean, I, I've written a letter, I've handed out presents, I've praised them, how do I end my letter? And he does it with this beautiful sentence that within one sentence preaches the gospel. May the abundant, salvation-giving, no-strings-attached grace of our Lord, of our King, of our protector, Jesus Christ, who died for your sin, who rose again, be with you. You, plural, as a church, you, Susie, you, Johnny, that's it. That's Paul's conclusion to his letter to the church of Thessalonica. 
And for us here at Refuge, I thought about it this week, it's the conclusion of a four-year-long Bible study plan we started in 2016. I actually put together a plan when we first started as a church. I said, I want to make sure that we are a Bible-teaching church, that we go through big chunks of the Bible. And so uh, in 2016 and leading into 17, we started walking through big chunks of the Bible. And since that time, we've gone through all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Over that four years, we've gone through the entire books of Acts in different sections. We've went through the Old Testament, Genesis, and Exodus. We've been through Paul's letters and Peter's letters. We've been in poetry and the Psalms. We've been in wisdom and Proverbs. Uh, Kennedy was noticing earlier in 2020, I did have to make some adjustments because we were off so, for so long and we came back together and felt like we needed to ramp up with a regathering. And then Thessalonians just seemed to fit for what we're going through right now. But if you've been here that entire time, and I see some folks in the room that, that were here that very first day and have been through here this entire time for four years, thank you for being here and allowing me to grow and to become a better teacher each week as I've gone through it. And I appreciate you hanging in there as I've grown and learned. And I appreciate all the encouragement that you've given along the way. And if you've joined us recently, either online or here in person, just want you to know we are a church that is passionate about God's Word. And so every week when you come into this place, you're going to get verse by verse, chapter by chapter through large sections of Scripture. And so we're coming into this year, our time of Christmas. This was kind of a palate cleanse transitional week as we finished the book of Thessalonians and we move kind of into our Christmas season. Next week, I'll do a Christmas message. Uh, it'll come from the Gospel of Luke. The first half of next year, uh, at least up until Easter, we're going to go back to the Gospel of Luke because it was such a big book last year. I didn't get to cover half of it. So we're going to hit all the stuff that we missed in the Gospel of Luke through the first half of next year leading up to Christmas. And so I'll do a Christmas next message next week from the Gospel of Luke. And then on December the 19th, we're going to have a Christmas service. And our Christmas services are usually music and stories and the kids sharing and everybody coming together. Normally, you know, it's a full house and we got chairs packed everywhere in here. We're actually trying to keep it low key this year. We're not going to really promote it or, or say much about it. It's really for just us members here at Refuge and friends and family that you want to bring along with us because we can only fit so many people socially distanced into this room. But that's December the 19th. And then on December the 26th, just looking ahead, no service that week. So mark your calendars. Gather with each other outside of these walls, uh, but there'll be no service uh, here. Tis the season. We're in the season of Christmas. And so then, as we go into Christmas, stay awake and be sober. Don't mindlessly go through this season because you don't get another Christmas 2020. It's one and done. That's it. So open your eyes. Look around. See the gifts that God is giving you every single day that you get to open early. And so don't take a single moment, a single blessing, or a single person for granted. God bless. Love y'all. See you next week.